righty, folks, welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. Another episode, another guest coming your way. Oh, I'm so excited for that. But before we get there, again, shout out to all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, SoundCloud, for hosting us. YouTube channel, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We Shall Not Sleep. You can go and find it. You're sick and tired of me telling you that, just letting you all know. Any questions, comments, feedback, concerns, suggestions can be emailed to wsnspodcast at gmail.com. All right, so for this episode, you heard him last week, Pastor Adam Deckard, friend since Olivet freshman year, amazing gentleman, devoted husband, youth pastor now of five years, has a lot of experience to share about his track in ministry, how he was called, and addressing some concerns that he sees about today's youth when, when we talk about some remedies that, that we think can help churches connect with the youth. And he offers at the end some great suggestions for aspiring youth ministers or people who have just started out in youth ministry. So I hope from a conversation from two millennials, even if it affects just one person, that you can hear the gospel in our messages, in our conversation. So without further ado, here is Pastor Adam Deckard. All right, all right. So here we are with the best-looking member of D-Group. I say that because <laughs> it's so true, as voted upon by D-Group 2021. And... Uh, you guys remember him from last week. Uh, I have uh, a pleasure, absolute pleasure and privilege to bring on Pastor Adam Deckard, my good friend from Olivet and life. Well, I want to say we're lifelong friends, but it felt like we're we're spirit uh, lifelong friends. Thanks to SpongeBob. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super pumped to be back. Um, it was a, it was a lot of fun recording that with everyone and just hearing you know, hearing their stories, hearing their perspectives on what we were talking about. And, you know, we get, we get to do that every week in part, but um, it was nice to have, it was nice to have us on. So thank you for having us on, first of all, and uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate your willingness. I know that life is insane. It's busy for you. So I promise not to waste your time. I will say this for those, those people who just, who want to get to know Adam through one little story. It was our sophomore year. We're in the dining commons. Uh, it's been a long day for a lot of us. We're getting dinner together with some friends and Adam sits down and I say, Hey bud, what's going on? And he says, oh, I'm so excited for fruit. And <laughs> that, uh, that is a, as a quote that I never thought I would ever hear anyone say, and uh, I'll never forget that. That basically summarizes Adam's personality in one little story in sentence. Oh, goodness. Well, it, it was such a, it was such a novelty or uh, yeah, it was such a novelty in Ludwig just because I feel like there was never any, you know, like there were, there were some veggies that smelled weird, but then there was just never any fruit. So it's like the only time you could get fruit was on like Sunday brunch. So yeah. it's like, which I was never at. So anyway. <laughs> yes, you were indeed excited for it. And I will always remember that moment. So there, there's a brief little insight into uh, Adam Deckard's story. Now, you actually did share a part of this uh, when you were on our, our D group episode. So for those who might be listening to this, I'd really encourage you to pause, go listen to that episode and come back because it'll add a lot of insight into 
the, the man that Adam is and a lot of the questions that I will ask him. So we're not going to cover everything, but as I have always talked about with people here on the podcast, it's such a privilege to ask about people and how they, they got to Christ, what that journey was like. Now, not to repeat everything, because I actually have a slightly different variation of this question, but one of the things that you and I, I think, connect on most is the fact that we had a similar upbringings. You know, we, we had a very, very good support system at home. We're very close with our parents. We had a lot of models in our lives about how, how to live as Christ, not just as individual people, but the marriages that we were surrounded by uh, at church. So, I mean, I'm an only child. You obviously have a brother, so there's a little difference there. You're able to, you know, interact with him on a different level. But as far as our upbringing, love our parents, always Christians. That's just where we found ourselves. But when we got to Olivet, and when we told the story about how we met last week uh, on the show, we talked about how we had, we had these shared frustrations, shared struggles, but for, for us, that's what brought us together. And I'm just wondering for the, because, you know, for the people who weren't here last week and then for the, the questions that I, I would have gotten to if we had, you know, four hours to record right? is how exactly, and I, I think we all can relate in this way, but growing up in the environment, which you did, which you were, you know, you love God, you, you love the church, you were going to a, you know, a Nazarene school. How exactly did your faith journey change once you actually got to Olivet, when you were outside of that, that really warm, safe and loving bubble of home and parents, how did that, how did that, you know, change, increase? Um, what was your experience like once you got to Olivet? Well, I think, first of all, I, I mentioned briefly last time that, you know, Olivet did serve as a, as a nice moratorium for me to kind of figure out what it was that I believed. And, and Olivet was a, first of all, a different perspective as far as their primary theology and eh, not primary th- well, yeah, some theological things. Um, I grew up Presbyterian. They're Nazarene. For those of you who maybe know a little bit of the intricacies of the difference, Presbyterian, you know, they they kind of go more, uh, they're very influenced by more John Calvin uh, and uh, Calvinism uh, tul- uh, and Tulip, that whole thing. They were, they were three-point, I think they were more three-point than five-point Calvinism, if you even know what that means. But um, and then Nazarenes are more Wesleyan. They they rely more on on John Wesley's interpretation of uh, more of his theological standings and the start of the of the Methodist movement and all these different things. So um, it was cool to it was cool to get a different perspective, you know. And I I don't think I would call myself at the time I wouldn't have called myself an expert in, you know. Oh, I know like. Calvinist theology to a T going into all of that. Like, I, I don't know if I was able to articulate in the best way um, a lot of the differences, but learning more and more about the differences between the two in college and kind of side, not siding, I guess, but like, I mean, yeah, I mean, kind of falling more on the Wesleyan you know, spectrum. I love Wesleyan theology. I love the Nazarene stance on, on holiness, um, not as a pursuit of, um, uh, not as a means to perfection, like sinless perfection, but just a means of like, just pursuit of being more like Jesus. So I, I love, um, I think 
learning about all of that and learning about the intricacies of that while at all of that definitely shaped kind of my own personal, like, I want, I strive to be holy. I strive to be like Jesus. I strive to be, uh, to be love to other people. Right. And that, and that it's not uniquely Wesley and we all try and love people, but yeah, right. Um, I don't know. So that I think theologically, that's a lot of what it did, but also um, it really, 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 really bolstered just my trust in the Lord being there, try, having to rely on him financially or rely on him to, to provide in, in various ways. Number one being financially, um, you know, to keep me there and all this stuff like that. And, and there were many, many times in many, many different situations where I was just the uh, Kelly prayer chapel is a small little chapel on Olivet's campus. It was one of my favorite buildings. I felt like I was in there all the time, especially freshman year, just cause I was going through a lot of um, you know, it, it's a pretty, pretty pivotal year on top of being in a long distance relationship at the time on top of, you know, being involved in several different extracurricular things and trying to balance, you know, no one's checking in on you. You're, you're, you're learning, you know, all that independence for the first time. Right. I was just, it just drove me to be in prayer more. And, and I learned a lot in those years about what it meant to this idea of like prayer without ceasing, right. That idea of just having conversation with God, being in conversation with God every day. Um, it taught me a lot about, um, what community looks like, right? We talked about that last week and what, what a community of faith looks like and being able to, to depend on friends to, to be there for you, right? I remember um, specifically there was a time I was, go I was having a really, really rough night and I was actually just, I used to pace a lot. I used to just take walks around campus a lot and just pray or talk or whatever. And I was just in a really bad state and I, I texted Curtis actually I said hey Curtis like I'm having a real rough time could you like like I need you can you come just listen to me for a minute or just come be with me and he I think it was sophomore year because he was in hills at the time so he just he came right out and uh, we just like walked around the parking lot for another hour or so and I don't know it was just things like that you know the learning about community, learning about prayer, learning about all these things. Um, I could talk a lot more about, you know, community and uh, in regards to, you know, the ministry teams that I was a part of. Um, I won't dive into that too much right now, but I had the privilege of, of traveling in, in music groups that traveled eight to 10 weekends every semester. Um, we'd go to camps and retreats and churches and stuff like that. We went to eight different camps in a summer. Um, and, you know, during the summer as we traveled and being in that group with seven to eight other people, just being on the road with them, learning how to live with them, learning, um, learning how to choose where to eat when no one wants to go to the same place, you know, just little things like that, that teach you more about, about, being a part of a community of faith. Um, so I think those were a lot of really, really important lessons learned um, uh, that, 
that just deepened my deepened my faith, deepened my understanding. And again, as we talked about last week, just being surrounded by people who were also trying to like figure it out. Yeah, like it's it's that bond. Like you're all in the same boat, and and I think there's a lot of intimacy that can be had when you are aware of it, and yes. you realize that it's okay. It's okay not to have everything figured out. It's okay to be homesick. It's okay to be insecure. And it doesn't make you weak as a person. And also, if we're all Christians here, we're formulating our faith journey for the first time away from our homes. Even if, you, And that's from the people who are Christians who hate home and have mm. a terrible home environment or the ones like you and I who loved our parents, who loved home. And mm. yet we're choosing to go away and, and be in this, at least for the first part, a foreign environment. Um, in everything that you're, that you're saying, I mean, I, I experienced to a point as well, obviously I'll be differently. I'm a different person as I process things differently, but the, the understanding of like out what Olivet was, was there for ultimately was to give us an education, but there was so much other things. And I think the, the Kelly prayer chapel is, a, is an amazing thing, a dedicated building on campus where you can go in and you could fall asleep if you wanted to. You can pray and play a piano. You can write, you know, they had prayer requests that people have put up there that were anonymous that you could look over. So you don't have to pray for yourself or pray for guidance. You can go in there and pray for other people because that yeah. was it was just a shared community. And yeah, probably probably the the honestly, the probably the most important uh, building on campus, in, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because it shows how much the the school values that for the students. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about that that I don't think I've ever told you. Um, it's because of it was in prayer. It was in Kelly Prayer Chapel that I realized that I wanted to come to Olivet because I was visiting my brother. My brother's three years older, and uh, I was just doing a campus visit. Um, I think I was maybe I was probably a junior in high school. I, I don't think I was really in the serious search my my senior year yet. Um, I think I was still a junior anyway, but I, I came to campus and there was actually a 24 hour prayer event going on, uh, at Kelly prayer chapel. Um, and, uh, they do typically when they do that, they have like musicians sign up for like hour blocks. So you go in and there's like always music playing either just instrumental or people singing. So I went with him and some of his friends to this service that was going on. And it was just like, I'm, I, it, I, I got to experience that. I got to experience worship with other young people who were seriously pursuing. Like I knew that these people loved Jesus. Right. And I was at a place then where I was starting to take my faith more seriously. And I looked at that and I said, like, I want that. Like, I want to be in a place that does that. So it was after that, that I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go to all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so cool. I, I, I didn't know that actually it was going to be a question I was going to get to at some point um, during either our D group time is how we actually all came to Olivet, how we chose Olivet as our school. But I didn't mm-hmm. know that. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that because well, what, a, what a holy moment that must have been. And mm-hmm. you just, it takes me right back there. Like I, I remember those. I, I, can put, I see myself right there in that prayer chapel right now. Like I can picture myself in there, know exactly how it smells, what it looks <laughs> like. Uh, and everything like I, in, it's been over five years since I, I've been there and it, you know, that that's for me, it's hard. I think as younger people looking back on, on a period of lives when we're bonded like this, I truly understand like why people say like college is the best years of your life. And I mean, I, I guess I get that 
because it's going to be true to a certain extent because I don't, unless you, unless our society changes, there's not really going to be a time when you're surrounded by that many people your age with more, more than likely the same values. Mm. And you're all experiencing that, that thing for the first time. It's a very rare event. Now, if you had like a massive class and, school for new parents, it'd be the same thing. It'd be a similar thing, but we don't do that. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's such a, it's a, such a form formulating period. And what, what I don't, what I don't understand sometimes is people looking back at their school of choice, wherever they went and saying, that yeah, was a bunch of baloney. I hated this school or they had no idea what they're doing. They're old fashioned. I just never got that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, for, for me, I would never look back at Olivet and say that was a waste or I can't believe I went there because if anything, I have no problem paying, you know, that many thousands of dollars to meet you guys again. Obviously I got something more than that, obviously, but I think the most important part of that diploma from Olivet was meeting you guys. I agree. I agree. And it's funny if nothing else, this, this can be a topic eh, either for a future podcast or future D group conversation, but I was just touching up a little bit on uh, on Life Together by Bonhoeffer because um, I thought I was going to use it in my sermon this last week, but I did not. Um, and he he talks about how, I mean, he talks about the joy, the true joy it is of being in Christian community with other believers. But he also says, woe to the person who only wants to be in community, community with other believers because Jesus, the example that he set, like he was he was constantly serving among his enemies, I guess. Like he was serving among his enemies and and event in the end, he was abandoned by his friends. Right. Right. So like at the end he was alone when he wasn't alone, but like essentially he was alone. So he kind of goes on to make the point that like, you know, I, I think all of that was a great, great, great time for us to enable, enable us, empower us and, and, and sow the seeds to go out. And like, I wouldn't exactly say that we're among enemies right now, but like, I think that, you know, to, to, to go out and do that, like, look at how many of us, not necessarily D group people, but just like how many of us from school are like doing ministry in some form or fashion. Like I have, I can name, you know, 10 off the top of my head, you know, it's just, it's super, it's super, super cool to see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and it's fun. It's funny as I'm saying everything that you're saying and everything that I'm saying, the one thing we both didn't say is that wasn't that kind of what church is supposed to be. And yet it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't like feel that way sometimes. And mm. it, that's there, there certainly is a bond and an intimacy formed amongst believers in church, but man, those D group sessions that I'll tell people like you weren't there, you weren't there for it. You don't understand, but that's, but you people can see that in like small groups at churches, but it's, it's very, it's a very elite few that I think can, that can touch the, the amount of spiritual conversations and discipleship that went on. And for, for those listening, you might, you might get sick and tired of Adam and I or our future members talking about it. It's because it's truly, it, it was truly a life-changing thing looking back on it now. And it's still, still an anchor for so many of us to just keep us grounded and, mm-hmm. And I've said it before, men need other good men. And that's not a form of patriarchy. That's not a form of uh, misogyny and saying that women can't do that. I'm not, I'm not talking about gender roles. I'm not talking about anything like that. I think 
we as just people, open, if we open our eyes, can see the, the damaging effects of men not being held accountable. And it's sad that it seems to be women holding men accountable much more with or much more passion or um, with much more uh, conviction than us men sometimes. And for, for us, that's why I'm so glad we always have permission to rebuke one another challenge, and challenge one another. And we mm-hmm. still do that. And that's, that's kind of like the, the foundation of our group is being able to be so close with one another that we understand that when we say or call, call people out, it's not to make me feel better. It's to call the other person higher. And that's what I, tr- well, I think that's what we were trying to ultimately convey last week. So again, I, I hope to have more of those conversations, but why, why you're here, why I wanted to pick your brain more tonight was was your call into youth ministry. And I know from your experience, much like my own, again, I had a really good uh, youth ministry experience. And you know that because I talked about it a lot and because you had my youth minister who later became a professor Olivet, Dr. Teresa Garner, who taught youth ministry classes. So you knew where I was coming from. I was very spoiled. So Mm. how, I guess it's a a questions in two part. How did you, how did you feel that call to youth ministry and did your experience in youth ministry, did that ignite the passion for it to begin with? Hmm. That is a great question. Um, yes, I, I, well, first of all, about uh, Dr. Garner, uh, uh, I had the privilege of being in several of her classes and, and definitely her, her passion for it was, was infectious and contagious. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for an opportunity to, to learn under her as she was continuing to learn and work on her doctorate and different things like that. So that was cool. Anyway, uh, my call to youth ministry, um, I was called to youth ministry the summer of 2013. Uh, yes, because we had just completed our freshman year. That was okay. my first summer traveling with ministry teams. Uh, and I was at Indian Lake Nazarene campground, um, had many, many, many formational summers and camps, um, on that campground. Fun fact, it was the, um, my first assignment, my first position was in Michigan on the Michigan district. Um, uh, so for two years, I was the youth pastor on that district and got to go back to Indian Lake and all this stuff. It was pretty cool. Anyway. So it was during, um, uh, it was during a family camp service, like prior to a camp that we were going to lead. So we were there maybe a night or two before that we were going to lead that, that next camp. And, um, I, I don't remember, I don't remember what the message was about. I don't, it had nothing to do with the message. The call was like independent of the message, which was, which was weird. The only thing that I remember about the message was this dude was like talking about his proposal to his wife. And he did it on Olivet's campus and it, he used like a giant pink bunny. It was a whole thing. I don't know. It was weird. But, um, <laughs> um, but I remember during that service, like the Lord kind of speaking to me, like, you know, there are some people who, you know, who hear the Lord speak in like an audible voice and stuff like that. I didn't, I, that didn't, that's never happened to me personally. Um, but I, I, it's like this, a voice almost like came out of the fog, like in my own heart and my spirit. And it's like, Hey, I want you to be a youth pastor. And like, then it was gone. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was, it was weird. Like, 
but almost as soon as the thought came to my mind, as soon as the, as soon as I heard that, as I began to, uh, that, that initiated a, a week long, just, just processing, praying, trying to discern, like, is that what I heard? Is that what you said? Is that what I want I'm supposed to do? Um, and the more I thought about it, the more that it just is like a, like a, a missing puzzle piece that just fell right into place. And it's like, Oh, like that's what that was. <laughs> like I evaluated my passions, my talents, my interests. And it was just like, like, why was I not pursuing this in the first place? Why didn't I not see it as a viable option? I don't know. So, and that, and again, that week of processing, like the Lord asked me to give, you know, or he asked me if I would be willing to give up the relationship that I was in at the time, which I said, yes, which that's a whole nother story. And that eventually ended in October of that year. So this was in what, like June, July. And then that ended on at that ended in October. Um, but it was that next semester that I went back to Olivet that I, that I changed my major. Um, I changed it to, uh, what was it? Christian education. Yeah. Christian education degree with a focus in youth ministry because the youth ministry degree was a little bit more involved and I wanted to keep traveling and yada, yada. So, um, so that was, that was what my call looks like. Um, and uh, as far as my own experience, I mentioned last week that I, I received a lot of intentional investment from my own youth pastor, pastor Bob Um and uh, he was just an older guy who was very wise, uh, or at least, I mean, he was, he was older than most youth pastors. You know, he came to us when he was 50. So when we heard that we were getting a 50 year old youth pastor, we were like, what does that even mean? Right. We didn't, <laughs> I, I had never, I, <laughs> like, those don't, those don't go together. <laughs> no, but uh, very, very wise man very loving man had a bunch of great stories um to be honest i remember a lot more of his stories than i do his lessons which i try and remember in my own teaching <laughs> um but um um yeah i just received a lot of investment from him and um I, another th big thing that i was as i was thinking about this question i i realized was that like i mean yeah i had a i had a great experience with my youth group like a lot of us <clears throat> a lot of us were born in that church like I, I had the privilege of being in the same church from birth till graduation mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends were in the same boat so a lot of these these guys some of these girls that I knew literally from birth and we just grew, we grew up together a lot of the, us guys uh, we were all in boy scouts together oh wow um, okay fun fact our church I think has 10 to 12 Eagle Scouts like came from our church. Oh, wow. Um, which is pretty cool. So there's a lot of, a lot of cool heritage there. Um, yeah. So we all went through the same troop together. Um, and there was just a lot of time spent together outside of youth ministry activities, right? We'd all come together on Sunday nights, but we all went to separate schools. Like there were a bunch of schools in the area. We went to different schools but we loved playing ultimate Frisbee. We would get together to play ultimate Frisbee with a local college group. Um, we would go bowling together. Um, we, what else did we do? We'd go to each other's houses. Um, we just like, 
we hung out together a lot outside. So again, in that environment, there were just, you know, I don't think, thinking back, I don't know if we were, I don't know, we, we were, it was just similar to the D group. It was just a bunch of people just trying to figure it out together, right? Like we weren't, I don't know how, looking back, I don't know if I would say that any of us were like super committed to our faith, but we were, we, we had our parents as examples and we were in the church every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that was, that was very formational in, yeah, like my own faith development. I don't know if I can, I think the biggest thing that I look back on and say, oh, my experience helped fuel my passion uh, was probably the intentional investment that I received from my youth pastor, which is another thing that I have to remember in my own teaching is that, you know, I, I, I don't know if like, yeah, I, I don't know if our youth pastor had time to invest in every single person in the youth group, but I was in need at the time and he invested in me and here I am. So I think that when we intentionally invest, I I, I keep that in mind as far as thinking about like, who am I intentionally investing in, in my youth group? Like I can't, yeah, I can't meet weekly individually with every single person, but like, who am I intentionally meeting with to like, because because you know how what the importance of that is and yeah uh, i mean some of my most memorable moments were with my with my youth ministry experiences whether it was going to colorado with with Teresa and ken garner right after i graduated that was our like big senior thing and that was a very spiritual spiritual time and then i remember i had i had surgery and when i was in high school and my 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 middle school youth pastor, who is now the head pastor of Jackson's church, Bryce Gernon, mm. he and I formed a very special bond in middle school, but he wasn't my youth pastor. He wasn't somebody I interacted with on a regular basis any longer. Well, I'm in high school. I had jaw surgery. It was, it's a very, it's a very, very uh, depleting feeling when you can't eat solid food for a long period of time mm. and you can't do a whole lot because you have to be very still um, you cannot have any accidents when you're recovering from that, that surgery. It's very debilitating. And he came out and took me to a movie and we went and we got like ice cream. Cause I was actually able to eat ice cream like really slowly. And mm. I'll never forget that it was, he didn't have to do that, but I'll remember it for the rest of my life. And it's those, it's those things when you have people who aren't your parents, people who aren't, you know, necessarily by default have to like every decision you make or, <laughs> I'm not saying that all parents do that, but it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a third party that's unbiased. And when they do something, they, they pour into your life that, you know, I think as a kid, they're not getting anything out of it. They know you're not going to go mow their grass or take care of the, the garbage or empty the dishwasher the next day. They're just doing that because they care. Right. And I don't know if that is something you can relate to from your youth pastor and your experience, but I do know that youth ministers have such a special and precious gift and then also the same burden to be able to reach the, those, those specific kids. And I'd like to think it's the Holy spirit, you know, giving you that it's like, you know, Adam, you're fine. You know, that kid's going to be fine. You know, uh, this other kid, 
why don't you, why don't you help them? I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that was my experience and that's how I see it sometimes. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll actually, uh, we'll, we'll get to the, the, um, uh, I think the adult involvement a little later. Yeah. But yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate that. So, so just to recap, you, you felt the call, uh, year between the freshman and, and sophomore year while you were serving ministry dreams at Indian Lake, you just, you felt, you felt the spirit move. Did you have any inclination as to where you, God was leading you career-wise before that? Or was that just, I literally like looking back, it was one of those things where you thought you had a plan, but you absolutely did not. Like, <laughs> that's right. I, I, my major at the time was communications. Um, and uh, so that's how I, I met, um, uh, you know, people like Annette Carr and stuff now. Oh, yes. Right now and stuff. And, uh, um, so I had a couple of communications classes and stuff like that. I, I literally thought it's like, Oh, I'll, I'll go into like public relations because public relations, they work with people a lot. Like literally all I knew is that I wanted to work with people. Mm-hmm. So I started out kind of pursuing that communications degree, had a couple interesting classes, but then I'm just like that, that call came and then the piece fell into place. And it's just like, Oh, like, the reason why I want to work with people is because I want to like walk with them through. <laughs> this sounds weird. Uh, I was going to say the reason why I want to like, the reason why this makes so much sense is because I want to walk with people through hell. <laughs> no, 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 that's, and, that, and that's what you're in a way you're signing up to do. And, and by the way, uh, shout out to Annette and Micah, by the way, for the, that's what I thought podcast. What a, what a great yes. thing. And I think by the way, Annette, she texted me, Last week, she listened to the entire D group episode. She loved it. She, we, we oh, have, good. we have one fan, a uh, like perpetual fan of the nice. show. So, um, well, yeah, I, that's, it's hilarious. Cause I don't, did you ever get, by the way, before you, you had youth ministry, did you ever get the proverbial, oh, what are you going to do with that degree? Is there a communications ma- uh, uh, job I didn't hear about that pays $50,000 a year? I mean, surprisingly, or, no. Like, oh, okay. I mean, yeah, which which is nice, I guess. Oh yeah, it, it, absolutely, it's nice. Yeah, but it it is just like sometimes I want to go back. Maybe that's why I was called is because I had no plan. You know, <laughs> like it's like Adam, you have no idea what you're doing with your life. You need to go to youth ministry. <laughs> <laughs> it's where, I don't know. It's where all the people who think they're called, they just choose youth ministry because they think it'll be easy. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, no. Yeah. Wolf is you. It's, it's to quote Adam. Wolf is the is your. I, I literally, you need to go watch my sermon yesterday. I literally said that in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> uh, I was talking about Stephen's, Stephen's roast of the Pharisees and like, woof. <laughs> Did anyone get it that you said that? Like, does anyone get that colloquialism at all? No, I don't know. I don't know. There's people in the church going, see, that's why he's our youth minister. He says things I don't understand, but the (laughs) kids get it. (laughs) Oh, my word. Um, So here's this is the best part. This is the this is the question I've I've really, really wanted to ask because it's it's so true. Like you could learn everything in the in a book that the book teaches. You can say, all right, I get it. I, I have the head knowledge. But day one. 
at youth ministry, a kid comes to you and they tell you that they're experiencing some sort of abuse at home. And all of those pages of material get literally thrown out the door. And now you're talking to a real person. So my, my question is for, for someone in your circumstance in youth ministry, what were some of the lessons, you know, in those first two years, which we were actually close in proximity, only two hours away, we ended up meeting up a couple of times when you were in the Michigan district here. But mm-hmm. in those first, let's say that year of youth ministry, what were some things that you, you just had to learn on the job versus, you know, hey, the classroom, it, it prepared me a little bit for the, the idea that this might happen, but the school can't teach you this. What, what right. were some of those things? I love that question. And I will answer it as soon as I take off my sweatshirt. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Well, see, this is where, you know, because we're unsponsored podcasts, I don't have time to pay myself to, you know, edit, edit around that. So there was the <laughs> in- commercial break and we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with Hello. Pastor Adam Decker. Hello. Um, yes. So the very first thing I, I full disclosure, I jotted down some notes for those, for those listening. I got <gasps> these questions beforehand and I, I, I told Michael, I said, I didn't, I don't want a lot of like, uh, let me think about this on the podcast. So the very first thing that I wrote down in the field, you can fail. That's, that's the first big thing is in the field, you can actually like, I mean, you can fail a class, right? But the, the biggest teacher, I mean, they always say that the biggest teacher are your failures, right? And in, in the field, you can easily, like, you do that. And there, I have had several failures and several mistakes that I have learned a great deal from that I did not learn from a book. Um, I'm not going to list all of them right now. No, yes, please. Uh, Everyone get their popcorn. Right. Yes. Um, I think one, uh, one thing you're definitely not trained. Um, just kind of going in the order of these, the, the going in the order that I thought of these things, you're not trained for all of the additional roles that you'll have to take on as a youth pastor, right? Like you're, you're never just a youth pastor Mm -hmm. unless you are on a staff if you're in a church of 5,000 people where there's a pastor for restrooms, like you will, <laughs> you will never, ever just be a youth pastor. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, that's pastor, so true. <laughs> pastor of, of bathroom hospitality. Yes, thank you. you will, that, yeah. And you're only slightly exaggerating. That's the, there's, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you're only slightly exaggerating in some Protestant churches. Uh, yeah. A church should never be larger than 350 people. Hot take. We'll talk about that n- another time. <laughs> Everyone has been wasted. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. So yeah, these additional roles that you'll take on. I, I know several of my youth pastor friends, you talk about Dan as well. You know, he's talked about like all the video editing and, and video setup, being a sound guy, being a custodian, being a media designer being you know uh uh just learning how to plan and organize trips and events like you don't get a lot of to to give dr garner Teresa, some credit we we did plan a couple events in her class but like even then like you just it's a little it's a little simplified i guess i don't know um learning how to manage finances. Sometimes there are finance management classes. I never took one. So learning how to do that, 
um, just working with a church budget and whatnot and keeping track of things. Um, I think, man, one of my biggest frustrations with, you know, you, and, and you, you maybe already said this, but just like you, you read all the books, mm-hmm. but like you have no context to apply it to. You learn all of these theories, you learn all these ideas, and they say in all of the books that, you know, this is, you know, it depends on the place that you're in, whatever. There's no cookie cutter, copy paste, anything like that ever works. You can never just copy and paste something from one church to the next. It just doesn't work. You have to, have to, have to know your people. You have to know your people and you can only do that in a context. You can only do that by going somewhere and taking time to get to know your people, right? Um, before you apply any theory or any strategy, you have to know what the needs of your people are, which is one of the, I have struggled. I've been in youth ministry for four years and I, which is not a long time, but um, I have yet to find a curriculum, a student curriculum that meets the needs of my students. Mm. Um, And I have run into some walls because like writing your own lessons takes a lot of time. And one of the, the more attractive things about a curriculum is that you can plan like Michael can see this, you guys cannot, but behind me is a giant board with just like a bunch of like postcards, not postcards, but like it's essentially a year long plan given to me by a curriculum. Well, that plan was set up in January of 2020 and guess what happens next? And guess how, how much of this I actually got to use? Yeah, like none of it. <laughs> so like, I don't know. So finding, finding like even learning how to find a curriculum, like they don't teach you that in a book. They, some of them teach you how to write your own curriculum. But like, again, it all comes down to just knowing your people. Um, and I think that, yeah, another thing that you had mentioned the situation of, uh, of a student coming up to you and it's like, Hey, I'm struggling with these things. Like, what do I do? I think there are a lot of resources, a lot of books these days that have gotten so much better in regards to relevance, uh, in how to walk alongside, um, teenagers, um, Kara Powell and the, the Fuller Youth Institute out at uh, uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary in Pasadena. They are doing some great work out there. I love Kara Powell's books. Um, my sister-in-law uh, is actually working with her right now uh, mm-hmm. in their church, uh, Pasnaz out there. They're doing kind of their current study that they're working on. Um, and Kara, she just came out with um, a new book. Anyway, I, I haven't read it. Um, but um, so anyway, the, the resources are getting better. There's a lot of, of modern study that is done. Um, and that's the difficulty too with resources that is that like anything with the pace that things are moving now, anything older than I wouldn't today, I wouldn't read anything older than 2010 or even 2012. Um, is and- that because the, the cultures changed so much in the kids because the mission is still the same. Yes. But the, is it, is it because the way churches are now, is it more of that, is that a reflection on the way that churches are now or the way that kids are now? I think this is what, what kids are now. Like there's a great, great book by Chap Clark that we read in college called Hurt 2.0. It's a, it's a revision of one of his older books 
but that book resonated so hard with me. Um, and the reason it, I didn't realize in this until a little bit after I read it, but the reason why it resonated so hard is that the generation that he was talking about, the generation that he studied going through high school was mine. So like, I, I felt for the, like, for one of the first times that like, I felt like I was known because like, oh, he actually spent time with these teens. He walked the halls with these teens, literally asked them questions, got to know them. And, but like, he was talking about my generation, but youth today are so much different than my, than our generation, sure. right? Like high school now is, is, is astronomically different than we did. So new resources are needed to like study those kids and like how do we minister to this generation so i guess for an example then since i'm a millennial a lot of people who listen to this are millennials what were some of the observations that that gentleman had as uh as adam is fumbling for his resources these again the unplanned (laughs) unplanned moments this is uh hurt 2.0 by whom again uh chap clark chap clark okay um i mean he talks about how um well, first of all, how adolescence and just the, the, the period of adolescence is changing. There's a lot of research coming out now, newer than this book, talking about the extension of adolescence. Pu- oh, yeah. Yeah. So like ad- the, the period of adolescence starts in puberty and ends in culture. It starts 11, 12 and ends when you're an adult. Well, when are, you, when are you an adult, right? Is it when you graduate high school? Is it when you graduate college? Is it when you have your own house? Is it when you're completely financially independent? Is it when you're married with, when you have kids? Like we have no more cultural touchstones or no more cultural barriers that say, okay, you are definitively an adult now. So I don't know. It's just, it's just really interesting. So he talks a lot about that. Um, he talks about um, school and family. Uh, just, these are just the chapters in the book. I'd have to one thing that really stood out to me that uh, I saw and resonated with um, uh, was the emphasis on perf- the emphasis on performance in all extracurricular aspects. Meaning, mm. uh, it's pushed younger and younger and younger to specialize and become really good at things. So, oh my gosh, that's that's great. You yeah. need to pick your instrument by age three so that you can get a full ride scholarship when you go to college because the competition's so stiff you have to start early right right you need to you need to start running like you know future track star you need to start running when you're five uh or you know at the very least you need to start competing very competitively in middle school right and you're pushed and you're pushed and you're pushed i saw an eight i went to one of the biggest Fun fact, really quick. I was a, a cross-country coach uh, in track in middle school. I was a middle school cross-country and track coach in Michigan. I went to one of the biggest middle school meets in the country in Michigan, and I watched an eighth grader run a 430 mile. I about vomited. It was the most incredible and crazy thing I've ever seen in my life. But like, that's the kind of like, you need to compete at this level. You're in yeah. eighth grade. Like your body's not done growing yet. Like, right. and then by the time you actually get to college, you're burnt out. Yep. So you drop out and either your full ride scholarship is gone or 
you ride out college on that full scholarship and you get a degree in something that you have no interest in. And then the self-discovery starts all over again and you can't settle into a career, which what is, that's what makes you an adult, right? You don't settle into a career until you're 30 or 35. Like it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So he, he talks a lot about those things. He just starts he, in the book. He just begins to talk about like gaming and social networking and stuff like that, which gaming and social networking are, are absolutely huge now. Um, anyway. Yeah. It all just changes so fast. It, it does. Um, and so I guess some of the key to points, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's definitely going, it, it adds more insight into the burden of youth pastors, but just seeing that they're being allowed to fail, but also it just seems like you can't, you can't learn it until you experience it for yourself because you can't plan for every single, uh, yes. you know, situation. Now I think this is in, in combination to what we just brought up, but I, I just had a lunch uh, this past weekend with you know, six other pastors, six different denominations present, loved it. And we had a, a missionary from Uganda who was talking about um, his orphanage that he runs in Uganda for over 500 children that they feed him two meals a day and they teach him English and mm -hmm. they did try to educate them. So that, because, you know, higher chances of you speaking English, you can have a, a more chance of success as far as how they gauge success in life. And I had a chance to ask him, I said, well, since, you know, at this time he had mentioned, this is his, he's been to America multiple times this is his fourth trip here. And, and I asked him, I said, what are the biggest differences between the church here uh, in the United States and the church over in Uganda? Like, what are the, what are the fundamental challenges and differences? And he, and it was an inverse relationship. He said, in Uganda, we can't, you will, he said, you will never see somebody out of high school age, not in church. They're always in church. You know, they, we, they always are there. It's the older generations that they like the traditional church. She's like what you would refer to as Catholic or Catholicism. Mm. And they, they like the idea of going to church and a service just for a little bit and then, but nothing else. They're not interested in doing the church like things. They're not interested in, in evangelism or anything of that sort. But he said, you know, here in, in America, it's the inverse because you have a bunch of older people. They're the ones that run everything. He goes, but you're not unless the people, the, the kids are, are of the age where they have to be with their parents. So really young, he goes, I don't see the youth anywhere in these churches mm -hmm. for the most part because they're gone. And, and I, and that led to a conversation how I said, well, that's on us. That's on the parents. That's the, that's on ministry. That's on teachers, not walking the walk and showing the younger generation why the church is a valuable thing in their lives. Because we could talk, we can scream at kids, we can discipline kids, we can force them to be at church. But if we're not showing that joy, showing that type of unconditional love and that just unabashed truth that we're, we're unashamed for our faith. Yeah, we're going to get made fun of. We're Christians. That's right. Your mom and dad are, are going to be ridiculed. Son and daughter, you might get made fun of at school. That's okay. We were told that's going to happen. Your faith is informed and you're not stupid. Here's some answers to those questions that your friends throw out there. And oh, hey, by the way, you're not going to play soccer or run cross country or play basketball on Sundays because we're going to reclaim the Sabbath day. The Sunday is a Sabbath day. 
for mm-hmm. us and for our entire family. And the reason why we do that is so we can be rested. So mom and dad aren't exhausted come Monday morning. And we're, we're just as bitter as everyone else. He goes, we're not doing that. Th- these are all the collective answers that, again, these pastors are much older than I am. They're the ones saying that, yeah, it's on us to show people the value of church. And that's a huge setup for the answer of, yeah, we could show people the value, but is that, that's the big challenge of youth ministry. How do you get kids in the church? How do you keep them in the church? Instead of just showing them a youth, a a youth group where like, Hey, I literally told my friend that I, I eventually got him to pray the sinner's prayer, which again is not in the Bible. It's just what you're taught to pray. Uh, (laughs) I said, Hey, come, come to my youth group. We have, you know, we got great coffee. We have a cool coffee bar. We got video games. We do all this stuff. So I got him in with all the secular things. And I'm like, man, come to my youth group because we pray all day. Like there's nothing quote unquote sexy about it. So I I understand the burden and Hey, come here and get some pizza, play basketball. And we read the Bible for two minutes and then we're done. And we call it youth (laughs) group. Like help me, help me with this frustration, Adam. Like, how do we get the, how do we get these people in church? How do we keep the youth in church? I, I don't know. I'm lost. Man, it's, it's, yeah, I, this is one of those things where I'm a lot better in theory than in practice, because (laughs) like, I, I feel like I know a couple, like I know a couple things, but yet I haven't put anything into practice yet that I've seen, I guess, quote unquote results for. And even if I did, like what I was talking about earlier with the copy paste, like if I find success in bringing kids to the Lord here, like that might not work elsewhere. I don't know, but I, I have never, ever, ever, ever been, um, a attraction model youth ministry. First of all, because like, I'm not that person and I just, I just don't, I just don't like it. I, I, I don't know. I like, I am not, you shouldn't be ashamed of yourself. You got a great body. No, no. <laughs> Thank you. No, but I, I don't know. Like I have never been a fan of just like, like I've been around a lot of other youth ministries and parachurch organizations that are like, we have the big facilities. We have the big budget. You should come to our thing because like, it's going to be sick. Like I, <laughs> I have never I've never done that. I've never been that. Like, it's like, I'm literally, I'm literally that like, Hey, come to our youth group because like we share what's going on in each other's lives and we pray for each other. Like, I don't know. And I I feel like the students that we have value that. Right. But then I think it, it, it takes a couple things. It takes, I think it takes the growth takes initiative on the students part to say like, hey friend, like I, I love this community that I'm a part of, you should be a part of it. And like, I can only do so much. Like if I meet a student out in the wild, right? And I say, hey, like we have a, we have a group that meets, you should check it out. Like that has rarely worked. Like unless, <laughs> right. like, unless they know me previous, like if I were to be, yeah, I don't know. That just hasn't worked for me. Um, so 
I think it, I think it takes, you know, the students saying that like, you know, I value this community and I want other people to be a part of it. I think that's a big thing is to invite other people in. Um, but like, I, I, as far as head knowledge, I, I believe that I, I know that students are looking for three things or the, not just three things, but three primary things that they, they go through, they struggle with through the period of adolescence, three questions that they're asking themselves is um, where do I, where do I fit? Which is a question of belonging uh, or first of all, who am I? Which is the question of identity? Where do I fit? What is a question of belonging? And like, what am I here for, essentially, is, is, is a belonging, a question of purpose, right? Like, they, they, they're seeking identity, they're seeking belonging, and they're seeking purpose, right? And we were talking about belonging a little bit last week, Dan, in the study that he was referring to, it's like, how do we make people feel like they belong somewhere, right? Because the majority, or a, 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 a frighteningly large portion of this upcoming generation feels like they don't belong anywhere. Yeah. I can attest with my own students, right? Like um, the amount of uh, the amount of times that I hear from students say, I can't remember if I said this last week or not, or last time or not, but like I have no friends. Like you're you're literally sitting in a room of fourteen people, and like you meet with these people every week. We share together all the time, you know. Which I mean that it just goes to show that like just because you do those things doesn't necessarily make them feel like they have a close friend or that they belong somewhere, right? So more, more work, more intentionality is needed. And then you just pray, 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 pray that they, they make a connection with someone, that they develop, a, that they have a friend, right? That, uh, that like, Lord, just provide for them just a friend. Like, just give them a friend that they feel like just truly knows and loves them, right? Oh man. So yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. I do want to, I do want to get to one quick thing. Maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit in my notes, but no, it's okay. Um, I want to go back to the, the thing you said earlier about, you know, you were talking about the importance of youth leaders and stuff like that. And I think that one thing that the church definitely underestimates the value of is or, or just underestimates what is needed is the participation needed in these students' lives. It is not enough to have Emily and I and maybe one or two other people there on a Sunday night. Well, Sunday night is, is, is a little different. Just in general, in their lives, investing in them. Um, speaking about, was it Kara Powell? It was Kara Powell and their team. Again, they wrote a book called Sticky Faith. Uh, and they, you know, it was based on a study that they did. It's a little older study now, but they, the ratio of investment for youth ministry used to be the ideal ratio was one adult per five students. If you get one adult investing in five students, maybe do a small group model, something like that, you're good. You're great. Uh, and that's often the same model we see for like, you know, sponsors on a trip, right? You know, it's like you need at least one one adult per five students that come or something like that, right? But what they actually discovered, if you want their faith to stick, right? And this is where 
yeah, if you want their faith to stick, if you want them to make their faith their own, they need five adults investing in one student. Five adults investing in one student. So, and this is where, you know, our conversation, our upbringing comes into play because we had, we had those multiple sets of parents. We had the youth leader, we had the parents, we had other parents, we had people in the church who were in some shape or another investing in us. And here we are, right? Like our faith stuck, right? And, and the study was prompted by like college students. They go off to college and, you know, a, a, a large percentage of them walk away from college or, you know, the, and their faith is gone, right? Like, why is that? You know, why is it that? Anyway, so mm. I, I find that very intriguing. And I try and I really try and push that with anyone I talk to because like, no, you don't understand. Like I don't run a babysitting service, right? Like if, if you, if you, the faith of your child matters to you, or if, if, if just in general, in the church, friends, if the faith of our youth matters to you, we need five for every one student, five people investing at least. So. Yeah. And I guess that just ties in. I, I was going to ask you, you know, what are some areas in life that the church kind of overlooks and minister takes for granted? And I, and maybe it's just as simple as we don't recognize that there's even a need. Um, it's like the youth minister. I mean, well, let me ask you that from, from a completely devil's advocate perspective, what do you think the, either a church board, a hiring pastor of a youth minister, what do you think their understanding of what the youth minister's job should be? Is it a glorified babysitter? Is it an entertainer? Is it to be the goofy person? I don't, like, I don't necessarily think, I don't think so. I think a lot of them recognize that like, you know, it is important to invest in youth, but it is, it is your job to invest in youth. Okay. All right. Like it is your job, singular, you as one person job to invest in youth and the youth leader coming in and saying, no, like literally takes a village, right? You know, the old, the old axiom, idiom, whatever that is, whatever that's called um, saying um, takes a village. Right. So, and yeah, I can relate that. Cause I mean, between pastors Phil Stout, Bryce Gurnett, and Teresa and Ken Garner at Jackson As, during my my upbringing there, there was a common understanding of that we are here for our children. They would constantly throw out the stats of, of children and that we have here. And they were, it was a reminder of the burden that when we dedicated infants that like this is this is a not just a celebration of the dedication but it's a charge to the rest of the, of the congregation yes. that it's your responsibility. And we just had membership classes now, uh, membership, excuse me, membership confirmation in my church. Now there's no youth. I mean, I'm the youngest person there in my congregation, but I, I issued the same charges that it's up to the rest of you to be there for each other too. Um, but yeah, this, maybe this, this abdication and deflection of responsibility that it's, if our youth are failing, it's only going to be the youth pastor's job. Um, and I know that that might hit a little bit closer to home as an example. Uh, um, but I, it's, it's hard to get youth to care. I would imagine this is a theory. I have no youth ministry experience at all. 
And granted, most of my people in my congregation are grandparents. Hmm. So they're asking me some of these questions, but I would, I would find it very difficult to convince any youth that church is important, that Jesus is a good thing if it's not modeled in the life of their immediate family members, mm. because they're going to say, what are you talking about? Because my mom and dad have Jesus and they're most messed up people on the planet. I mean, I could see them legitimately making that argument and yeah. me not saying, well, you know what? That's yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a very good retort. I wouldn't have anything to say. Uh, do you think, I mean, other than just showing them, I mean, I guess the over the overlooking the, the importance of youth ministry for everybody, for the church, because youth are still children. Is there a better way to, to, I don't think, well, first, no, being a witness for Christ, being a witness for Christ, there's nothing that's going to surpass that. But how you do that, it's, it's questioning of how you do it. Is that start with parents at home? I mean, you you can do a message. You can give the best message and it can stir within within kids. They can go home and think about it before school starts the next day, but then they can go home and they go back to their lives and they see their mom and dad bickering over the same things they've bickered at, or they go back to a single parent household, or maybe they go back to their grandparents because their parents are in their lives and they're reminded of the reality that they find themselves in. And there's no one there to model it. There's no one there to answer yeah. their questions. There's no one yeah. there to invest in them. So isn't it truly on the older generations to parent to not abdicate their role of, hey, you're a glorified babysitter, right? But you only reinforce everything that the youth pastor is saying. Is, am, I, am I wrong? Am I way off base here? Or is that, I mean, I think there is, I think there is validity to that. Um, I think that, oh, man. Yeah, I'm just shooting in the dark because I have no answers here. I really uh, yeah. don't. Yeah, I, I think that there is definitely a correlation between instability in the home and instability in faith. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've seen that. I've seen that in my students. I have. Um, and I think that I, while I wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't be terribly quick to like, and I, I think that there is a, is a great uh, uh, burden and responsibility on parents to parent. I don't know if I would naturally like, you know, in, in talking with them or talking about it, like be quick to like, like blame them, I guess, because I know that a lot, you know, the vast majority of the time, like parents are just trying their best, but like, if, if there is a, oh man, I think that a huge problem arises, I think, when there is a discrepancy between like, the, the action of a, the, mm, essentially the issue, I see an issue arising when people think that they are believers and don't act like it. Yeah. So like if, if you can, you can think like, oh, like I'm a Christian. Yeah, I do A, B and C. I'm a Christian. And yet, you know, that's the 1% of their life and 99% is whatever else, you know, right? So like, I, I see issue in those kinds of parental ideals as far as like, or just, just not even in parents, just people in general, like 
it's really, really hard to quote unquote, like preach truth to people who feel like they already have that. It's like, yeah, like I'm a Christian already. What are you talking to me for? Like, yeah, but, and I think, I think this is where, and I think this is one of the, one of the reasons why I kind of like the, the, the holiness tradition, the emphasis on holiness is because it, the emphasis is on being a progressive, it's a, it's a process of being made in the image of Christ. You're not done. Correct. You're never yeah. done. Right. So like it's, it, it becomes less like, like you have to do more to be more like Christ, but like, Lord continue to work in me to make me more like Christ. So like, if a parent can say that and like their, their child watches that, like, Oh man, I think that could be, that could be absolutely huge, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of answers either. I, I just see, I see the same tendencies that you see and I see the same correlations that you see. So, yeah. well, it's, it's the same concern on the, on, on the grandparents in particular, in my case, it's they, it's, it's this, burden that they have like they want to see the success of the younger generations they're just asking and looking for guidance on how how do we do that and that's like well you have got to model it i mean that's the only thing i have is you have to show the value of the thing that you think should be valued you Mm -hmm. can't you know you can't do the proverbial all right i have this candle here i'm just going to put it under this uh this bowl that's where you can't see it like i love that candle so much trust me i really do but I'm, you know, you never use it, but I really love it. Uh, that, that metaphor. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things that I have to ask you, and I think, listen, the role of parents is so important. And I, I'm, it's the family unit, the mom, a dad, and the commitment in marriage. And when you have kids and when you see the metaphor of Christ in the church being used as marriage, there's a reason that that language is so strong and so potent with, with that intimacy that I don't know where my faith journey would be without my parents. I don't know if my parents were divorced, how that would affect my faith journey. This is not to shame anyone whose parents are divorced or uh, who those who are listening who have been divorced. Absolutely not. I am speaking from my perspective and how powerful it was for me and I know for you, because you mentioned it last week and how you saw these models. And I guess this is a question from a, from a spiritual standpoint, I'm not talking about the, from the theological things and being taught, because I think our pastors teach us the most theology, unless you go to a school like Olivet and ha- that has a school of theology where you study it purposely. But I think our primary spiritual teachers are our parents. They, they don't think they ought to be our pastors not because our pastors don't have the education, don't have the authority or, or calling or talents, but a sermon doesn't change people. It, it can influence, but very rarely you're going to see someone like, oh, that sermon, you know, rocked me. <laughs> oh, I love that. Or that sermon changed my life. It very well could have, but you know what reinforces that sermon is other Christians living that sermon out. Yes. It's not the sermon itself. So pastors have a pivotal role to play. But again, if those people that are receiving that message, that seeds falling on fertile soil, but there's no one there to till it, keep mm. the weeds out. 
because the pastor can't do what you just said that you can't do that for everyone. You need everyone else's help. Right, it would be right. nice to have the help of parents or loved ones or other friends. If, if you don't, I mean, I don't really know anyone who's truly completely alone unless you're stranded on a desert Island or you haven't alienated all your friends on purpose. But like, I guess this is, I guess, a charge to other people that, Adam, you said this, the ratio of five to one, you don't have to have any kids to be an influence in a kid's life. You don't, you Mm, as maybe a struggling kid, if your parents aren't that model, you can find other people to look for, for help or support. And and, and that it just requires you being vulnerable and asking for help. But hopefully you have a youth pastor like Adam who can sit down and talk with you about it. I don't know. Forgive me. This is, I'm, I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but talking to you and hearing you give these answers just makes my brain just get all fuzzy. Like I just, I, right. I, I, mm. yeah, it's a lot. Also to be fair to the study that I mentioned earlier, one crucial detail that I forgot. Um, first of all, old parents do have a pivotal, uh, obviously have a pivotal role in their, in their child's faith development, but the, the sticky faith thing that they did specified that it was five non-parental adults to one student. So parents right. aren't even included in that number, Wow, um, which is, which makes it even more like interesting. So I don't know, but no, I, I hear you, man. It's, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. The, um, and <clears throat> I, I think for anyone who potentially might, might listen to this in the future, you know, we're, we're, we're basically, I mean, we don't have everything figured out. School didn't teach us everything. You, nope. we've been on, we've both been in the job. Of course you've been in the job a lot more than I have, but we've both been out of school five years and we've been in our careers for over a year, both of us, and we still don't have the answers. So guess what? Experience for the fir- first part doesn't give you all the answers. Neither does reading about it in a book. It gives you tools and pathways. Failures can be, again, the best teacher. Uh, hopefully, it's not, not at somebody else's expense, God willing. But for those who might be listening to this, who might kind of feel that calling that you did, again, kind of getting pulled into ministry, youth ministry mm-hmm. in particular, or those who are studying it right now, I mean, are, are, there, are there things that you wish Adam Deckard of 2021 could go back and tell Adam Deckard of 2013, 14, 15? of saying, mm-hmm. Hey, Hey, young buck, take this piece of advice with you. Like, what would you, what advice would you give yourself and other people if you, if you could go back in time? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, if you have, if you have that call, if you are feeling even an inkling, um, or if you, I've, I've heard this story a lot. I, I was called, I felt a call when I was 12 or 15. And then I went to college for something else. And now I'm 35 and I feel the call again. Like, like if you have a call, pursue the heck out of that call. Like, first of all, like that's gonna, I think that's gonna benefit you to pursue it earlier than later, but also like, we need you. Like we need more people investing in youth. We do, we do, we do, we do. Especially because, you know, one thing that uh, our, previous uh, NYI president um, on, the, on the district. For those of you who are not Nazarene, uh, NYI stands for Nazarene Youth International. So we have different leaders for that on dis- you know, district and local levels and stuff like that. But he, he always talked about like, just be praying that the Lord would call more students to youth ministry because 
than the amount of senior pastors, the amount of senior pastors that are like 65 plus is it's like 70% of pastors. It's like across the nation. It's a stupid high number. It's crazy. So in the next decade and a half or next decade, the amount of pastors that are going to be retiring is going to be crazy. And the, and guess who's going to be called up? Probably a lot of the youth pastors, right? Yeah. Which youth ministry is never, ever a stepping stone to senior pastorate. Um, and at least I've never felt that way. That's not my calling. The minute, if, if my calling ever changes, I'll, I'll go there. But um, we actually just had um, our, our district suffered a terrible loss, um, not through, he, no one passed away, he moved. Um, but Mickey Cox was a, a, a youth pastor on this district for like 50 years. He's, he's like 72 and he's been a youth pastor that entire time. Um, and single guy, he's just, he's just loved on youth his entire life, basically. And he's, he's been instrumental in the discipleship of, of, you know, pastors and leaders across the, our nation and the Nazarene church. So that kind of, just a testament to, you know, if your call is youth ministry, do that. If your call changes, do that. Like, I don't know, but anyway, yes. So as far as other advice that I would give, um, you know, a lot of the advice that I would give centers around my, you know, my limited experience and, and failures. Um, I think that I would, uh, I have always been one to prioritize relationship over knowledge. No, put it this way in college. You know, if it came down to studying for a test I had the next day or going out with a group of friends to like have a good time, I would often prioritize the latter because I value relationships. At the time, I valued relationships over grades. I just always, I, I just always have. I've never been a great student because of that. <laughs> so, um, well, just for the record, you're not any less for it. Well, so. thank you. Thank you. But, I, I honestly would encourage you, like, yes, you need to study hard. Yes, you need to do your best to understand what you're learning. You need to, you need to invest, but don't invest in study at the expense of, of focusing on developing a heart for people. And this is why I say this. I, I knew a guy in my classes. He would spend 12 to 14 hours a day either playing video games or arguing with people on online forums. Uh, and he was studying to be a pastor and he would get in classes and he would treat people like he treated people on online forums and just arguing with them. And he just, he, he had to, to, to be a pastor is to have an incredibly amount of an incredible amount of empathy. It's to, to have uh, a shepherd's heart, um, and you know, various pastors are, are better at different things, right? Some are better shepherds, some are better teachers, some are better, you know, whatever, like, and, and there's no fault in that. There's no fault in, 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 having a specific gift. Um, but make sure that you're just, just 
be with people, spend time with people, learn how to interact with people, learn how to love them, learn how to be diplomatic, learn how to practice the art of questioning, being curious about another person, being interested in others. Like that takes work. Like, and, and, and when I say these things, I'm not talking about, you don't have to be a super peppy extrovert. That's not what I'm talking about. I am not a peppy extrovert. I have my moments, but I am, I definitely have to flip that switch and be intentional. When I'm with my students, I'm always thinking about like, what question am I going to ask them? What, you know, I remember when I talked with him three weeks ago, he said that this was going on. I'm going to ask him about this to see if that's still going on. Right. Like those things take as much practice and work as learning how to exegete a passage of scripture. <laughs> and I, I think you'll find that the latter or the former in, in investing in people is, is sometimes more important. There, there's no, there's no substitute for, for bad theology where we can't, we can't be, we, we need to know, we need to know those things. We need to be good stewards of, of, of our knowledge, but yeah, we have to be able to know how to invest in people. Um, another one. I only have a couple more. Be patient with yourself, especially if you're just starting out. Um, a good book, um, My First Two Years in Youth Ministry by, oh, I can't read that on my shelf. Who is that? I can't remember. Anyway, My First Two Years in Youth Ministry. It's a good book. Go read it. Um, but be patient with yourself. Is that, is that by uh, Doug Fields? It is. It is by Doug Fields. Thank you. Um, and also, if you are a new hire, going to work with a senior pastor at a church, find a pastor who, who you know, they know, they, they know that you're new. They know that you're inexperienced. Maybe you've had some internship experience. Maybe you've worked under a youth group. Um, but he knows that you're uh, inexperienced and he's willing to either one, mentor you, or find a mentor for you. Because some pastors, they don't want to be micromanagers, right? Which is a very fair thing. They don't want to hold your hand necessarily. Um, I think that every pastor has a responsibility to their staff to mentor to a certain point. Um, but if he just knows that like, hey man, that's not my, that's not my skill set, make sure that he finds a mentor for you. Make sure that, yeah, that he's just willing to invest in your success. Um, yeah. Um, another thing, this is something that I, I've only been a youth pastor for two years at any given place. So I was in Michigan for two years. I've been here for almost two years. So this is something that I know in theory, but not in practice. Um, so take it for what it's worth. On average, on average, it takes about three to four years to build a sustainable ministry. If you are going into a church and they're like, hey, you're the guy, build it up, be very clear with them. It'll take a few years. I need time. I need time, right? Mm -hmm. I need time to build this up. If you want a sustainable ministry that does not revolve around the youth pastor, <laughs> that does not revolve around a personality, you need a few years. That's another thing. It doesn't revolve around you. When you leave a church, you need to be sure. 
Did you hear my, did you hear my slap for emphasis? You need to be sure that it doesn't revolve around you because the minute that you leave, it'll die. And you don't want that. So I'm very, I'm a lot more, I'm very passionate about this apparently. Oh man. And then finally, that's why I asked you on here. Yes. Right. Um, uh, actually two more, two more, and then I'm done. And then we can, if you have another question, great, or we can close this out, but find someone, find, find a small group in your church, find a group outside of your church, find a, a, a group of youth pastors on your district, in your area, um, find a group of friends, find a group where you don't have to be a pastor, where you can be a hundred percent honest, a hundred percent yourself. Um, not, that's not to say that you're disingenuous when you are a pastor. And that's not to say that you're I understand. Yeah. like a T group. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the amount of times that my, this discipleship group has been a lifeline for me and just allowing me to be honest about frustrations, about problems. Um, I, I would have gone insane and my wife would have gone insane, uh, if, if I did not have that outlet. So find an accountability group, if you will to, to, to be a part of, that'll be massively helpful for you. And finally, um, this is another thing that I don't teach you and you need to be in prayer about this. You need to be prayer. You need to be in prayer for discernment when you're interviewing and you need to be in prayer during your assignment, pray, pray for, and work on your relationship with your senior pastor. Pray for it, work on it, invest in it. And if, and if they don't invest in you, you got to be the one to, to put forward that effort. You just, you just got to. Um, another thing, when you are interviewing, just you know, ask them to be very, very explicit. The board, the church board, the, the senior pastor, ask them, similar to what Michael said earlier, ask them to be explicit about their expectations of you. What is it that they expect you to do? Because if you don't meet those expectations, if you don't meet the expectations, but you don't know what the expectations are, it's, it, it's a whole thing. So pray for and work on your relationship with your senior pastor because your senior pastor needs prayer, first of all. Um, and uh, that relationship, the better your relationship, the better and more healthy ministry in your church will be. So I think that's it. I think that's all I have. Well, the, uh, I expect the book, by the way, uh, next year. <laughs> all right. Yes. You be your own resource. Uh, no, I, that, that's probably a bad thing for all the egos out there. Uh, I, I think everything you just, you call attention to is, is constantly thinking, how can I lessen myself and in, and better the kingdom? Yes. Uh, if anything, the point is, is that, Youth ministry, if it's built on the person that's running the youth ministry, it absolutely will die if you leave because it's built on you. And I, I've asked my church plenty of times, the, rhetor- the big rhetorical question I ask us is who is at the center? Who is at the center of, of your life? And in ministry, who, like, what, what are we doing? What's our purpose? And that's a question I ask for, for all ministers to ask themselves is what is my purpose? What am I actually doing here? What, is, what am I supposed to be doing? And if it's, if, if it's what... Dr. Quanstrom taught us in our upper level theology classes, it's ushering souls to heaven. And those include the younger souls. 
-hmm. and it is a great burden. And I'm glad I am. I'm so filled with joy that we have people such as yourself who are in youth ministry because we need that the sake Mm -hmm. of our next generation needs that type of commitment and passion with the gifts and talents that God has given you in particular, not, not to be used as a stepping stone, but like you had mentioned, unless again, that's God's calling, but not to be used just as a utilitarian thing. And I, I'm greatly appreciate that you're so you're prepared. You, you wrote down notes tonight, Adam, I think at, at the latest of this again, benefits just one person Yeah, going to be worth it because we're, we're here, we're called to do what we do. And we just happen. I mean, this is a normal conversation between you and I, I'm actually asking just questions I never asked you before, but I'd ask you these anyway, uh, yeah. in D groups, like, well, guys, what, what do you think about this? And I'd rant for five minutes and Michael <laughs> would do his stupid ranting. And then you guys would, would respond back. And, and so that's why I'm so grateful oh. that in addition to our Thursday night chats, you, you can set aside some time. So my, my prayers would be with you and, you. and your wife, as you continue to, to battle in the trenches, uh, along with the rest of the youth ministers here in the United States and across the world. So pastor Adam Deckard, thank you so much for your time tonight, buddy. I love you. And, uh, this podcast is here for you as a platform and whenever you want to come back on. All right. Thank you. I, 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 uh, one problem that I have never had is having, is not having enough to talk about if that makes any sense. I always have more to talk about. So yes, I would love to. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, buddy. Hope you have a good one. Hey, you too. Thank you so much again to Adam and not only his wife, Emily, as well, for giving him the freedom uh, and time, because I know that that freedom is, is precious. Uh, and thank you for her support in his ministry, because I know it's a sacrifice for the spouses as well. I love Adam and Emily. They're a power couple. I so much appreciate their example in marriage to the rest of their youth. It's a great and it's a beautiful marriage. And, you know, I was at Adam's wedding and, and so cool to be able to have those those memories and, and be a groomsman. So thank you, by the way, for that. It was so cool. Still have those pictures uh, very, very much burned into my brain. It's, it's such a good time. Thank you for the sacrifice, Adam. Thank you for your commitment to the show and the fact that you were prepared, you thought about your answers. And your passion for youth ministry just oozes out of every fiber of our conversations we have. And we are all uh, in your debt because of what you're doing. It's so important. And we discussed it, that it's not just your job. It's not just your burden, but oftentimes it, it's left in your lap and yet you still get up and do it. So thank you, pal. I love you for it. And thank you for the rest of the listeners who, who stuck with us the entire time. Thank you for your support for this show as we're going to continue to have conversations like this. And if you ever want to contribute again, feel free to hit us up at our email, wsnspodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, may God bless you and may God keep you.